What advice would I give myself? Um, well, here's the thing. It's an interesting question because I think 20-year-old me would not have listened to any advice because 20-year-old mm -hmm. me thought he had it all figured out. But if mm -hmm. I could somehow penetrate that thick skull, um, I would say to him, don't think you have to have it all planned out. So mellow out a little bit. Don't worry at all about what other people think. They're not thinking about you. And the most important thing that you can do is just try to make a contribution. What does it take to have your mindset ready when it comes down to it? Believing in yourself, you know, a lot of hard work and a lot of visualization. Um, and I know that kind of sounds like very, very simple, but you know, I think Da Vinci said simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. I would try to practice those things over and over. Kobe and Jordan were my heroes, and that was one of the things. It's not always making the last shot, you know, it's under pressure doing what you're supposed to do and coming out um, successful. I think you make your own opportunities. There's always a way in. I mean, I was from this tiny little town, and I could have been like, there's no hope for me. I think that you have to be hungry and you have to reach out. And my mum wouldn't let me get an acting agent, so I got on a train and went to Sydney and got one myself, you know. What set me apart, I think, from everyone else is that my dedication and my discipline and just the execution of being consistent is what put me in a different stratosphere, just put me on a, a different level. And I think people were able to see that. Um, sometimes, like I said, I didn't want to just blend in. I wanted to stand out. You have to have that tenacity. But first and foremost, you have to believe in yourself because if you, if you don't have that fire, nobody else is going to believe in you or buy into that either. Regret hurts. There's no question about that. But here's the thing. Regret also instructs, and you can't have one without the other. So if you avoid the pain, you don't get any of the learning. So what you have to do is be able to process that pain. You're telling yourself, no, I'm too tired. There's no way I can make it. You gotta go. You have to be addicted to bettering yourself. Honestly, be addicted to bettering yourself. Not for anybody else, uh, or anything else, you have to be addicted to bettering yourself if you want to achieve the level of success that you ultimately want to uh, achieve. The aspirations, the dreams of what it takes, the commitment to hard work, but more importantly, how many lumps you've got to take. If you want to be great, oh man, prepare to get up off that mat. Take us into your daily routines. How do you stay as disciplined as you are? As I said earlier, I think you just have to be consistent. Um, consistency is key. Not only just, um, I didn't, I, I realized that not only in just uh, an athlete, uh, just in athletics or sports or what have you, um, but it's very key in, in, in every aspect of your life. And I think um, sports and outside of sports, uh, business, um, just even in personal relationships or just, uh, just 
establishing um, you know a rapport a bond even with family communication consistency uh, is key with anything but I think like I said the most part uh, the best part uh, about it and the most important part is communication um, and so I started to realize that um, later on um, as my career progressed um, if you communicate and uh, know how and understand how to uh, communicate with you know your peers, coaches, um, and and be receptive um, to a constructive criticism. Um, then I think you you give your, yourself an opportunity to grow, um, not only as a person but as an athlete at the same time. Because there's there's always communication in in everything that that we do. And I think if there's a a, a great um, I guess rapport or uh, great lines, uh, lines of communication, um, where it's harmonious and uh, and I think being able to listen um, instead of so being so quick to to respond or speak, um, then I think you know things will you know you'll see a lot of things a lot clearer. The most critical piece of advice that I've ever gotten, and I won't name who from a coach one day he just all he said and, I, and I'm gonna paint the picture for you I was a rookie I'm 19 years old I'm playing with guys old enough to be my dad I'm getting thrown around I'm just I'm, I'm playing a level of basketball that I I'm barely hanging on by a nail with but I'm one of our best players so I'm playing every night I want to go home I'm not used to the cold I'm getting beat up by guys. I'm like 215 pounds. I just gained like five more pounds. I'm playing guys 250, 260. I'm just getting, I'm getting beat up. But I wouldn't quit. And I was looking for this piece of advice from someone. And all they told me was just like, they would always tell me, hey man, keep going. Just keep going. All the time, every time. And, you know, I got so mad because I'm looking for that euphoric, that euphoric feeling from the piece of information that they're about to give me. Right. That's why I think we all kind of struggle sometimes looking for that and putting too much pressure on the situation. But as I got older, as I continued to train, as I continued to not give up and not let a loss define me or my character. I kept going, you know, L lose or win. I kept going. And, and then it really started to click. What he was telling me was he didn't have anything to tell me. I cannot, you know, I can't, I can't sugarcoat this ass whooping. It is what it is. You're going to take your lumps, but if you keep going, if you don't quit, you're going to get better and you're going to get better and you're going to get better because you're gonna not only see why you're coming up short and get smarter and incorporate these things in your training to get better, you're gonna get stronger. You're gonna know that you gotta, yeah, weightlifting, a little different program, you gotta stay with it. You just have to get a little older and continue to work. And, you know, I always reflected on that. So anytime it got hard, especially in basketball, I just say, hey, keep going, keep going, keep going. Don't stop, keep going. And so, although simple, that definitely ended up being one of the best pieces of advice uh, that I got in my career.
I always saw myself being successful and, and, and in terms of shots, you know, anytime I hit a big shot, I mean, you know, everyone would be so surprised and just like, wow, I would be surprised if I didn't make it, <laughs> you know, I put the work into this like every day, all day. And then when I'm done with it, guess what I do? I dream about it. I visualize it. I see myself being successful. I see myself hitting those shots with no time on the clock, with a little time on the clock. And then I'll do it again and say, hey, what if we're down two? Then I'll do it again and say, what if we're down three? You know, it's a never ending game. And anytime I was successful in those situations, I mean, you know, I would always let people know it's through dedication, through your hard work and through mental preparation and visualization. If you do those things, if you can see yourself being successful in your mind, then it will appear in the physical reality if you're calm and collected when you get the opportunity. Right? Sometimes we get the opportunity and we rush it. You know, you have to have total just commitment and dedication and just know you have to have faith too because you know, I've worked hard enough to be in this position. I'm going to let my training kick in because I've been here before. You know, I've thought about it. This is what it feels like. It's almost crazy because it's deja vu, you know, and, and that's how I tried to kind of, you know, approach those situations. So when I was able to be successful, it was a great thing. It's a, it's a regular day. It's a normal day. If I miss it, that's abnormal. That's how I felt. Keep going. And then after that, you keep going. And then after that, you keep going. Because it's about what we do. It's about how we handle the situation. It's not, it's not about what happens to us because things are going to happen. How are you going to separate yourself from everybody else? And I always thought anytime it got really incredibly hard, I would think about all the people quitting right now and how they're going to feel in a few years, hopefully if we're alive that they're just going to say, man, what if I hadn't have given up? What if I would have kept going? Don't say what if, please, 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 please don't have the what ifs down the road. You keep going now and I'm telling you, you'll be in a better place than you would be if you quit. I don't know what the opposite of a straight line is. <laughs> you know, like, like I know it's a straight line, a circle is a straight line, like a jumble. No, there are no straight lines. And, and so, so for me, um, like, I, I mean, I, I don't say this like to be glib or to be a joke. It's like there, there was not a huge amount of like long-term planning um, at a certain point. I think I felt like I needed a long-term plan, but then what I also found is that any long-term plan immediately hits the ugly truth of reality and then becomes a joke. And so for me, I think very carefully about what's next, what's next. E.L. Doctorow, the great novelist, had this lovely metaphor for writing, but I think it's true for, I think it's true at some levels for careers and for life, which is that you're driving on a dark night and you have your headlights on and you can only see you know a few meters ahead of you and that's sometimes aggravating but the thing is you can make the whole journey that way and that's sort of how i feel about it so what i do when you asked about books it's like 
I don't have any long-term strategy for the books. I just find something that I find an idea, a set of stories, a concept that I find so irresistible that I'm willing to endure the torture of writing it and to get the pleasure of being able to talk about it for the rest of my life. Just the act of, of scheduling things in that you have to show up for. Um, I tried a lot of different kinds of things to get myself able to walk into the room. <laughs> Mine was that bad. Um, I tried a lot of different modalities just to kind of not be terrified to kind of turn up to a writing session. Um, all of which were tools to just kind of trick my brain and, and get myself in the room. But more than anything, I think going to Nashville and booking 10 days straight songwriting, which is like two sessions a day, um, hardcore. And I'd been, I'd, I'd written in Nashville on my first album. In fact, the song Smoke was written under a tree with a guy called Matt Bronlewee in Nashville. So I was aware of, of the intensity of songwriting there. And I just had this intuitive feeling that if I went there, it was going to help me overcome my writer's block. And that's what I did. So I just song wrote, you know, with a bunch of people that some that I'd met before, some I was meeting for the first time. And it was hard because at the beginning of that, I was just going along with everyone else's ideas and going, yeah, that sounds great. And it's nothing I would say wasn't me. And then I'd wonder why I didn't like the song or I'd be crying. I'm like, oh. So not me. And but finishing off the day, not speaking up. So a lot of it was also learning, you know, if I if I don't have the courage to say, well, I wouldn't actually say that. That's not who I am. Then I'm not going to be happy with the song because they're trying to help me. And if there's no me in the room, then how are they going to help me write the song? So I think some of what I learned was the courage to just take control of the narrative and shut things down if it doesn't feel like it's me and that's okay that doesn't mean you know you don't want to offend people and in a creative room you have to be really careful but my experience has been that collaborators love it if you're like that's not me so what is you and like that's me you know and that's a really helpful useful thing in in a writing session so it's welcome I'm not what I do like who I am is not what I do I'm not the voice in my head, it's just like the basics, <laughs> um, which for some people, they can't even wrap their head around that. So, you know, that's a big one. Um, if you're not using those tools, then you're going to have, you know, like I haven't had a proper meditation practice in a while and it kind of shows <laughs> a bit scatty. I'm going to blame that on being a new parent. but. You know, I know that the periods of my life where that practice is in place, um, everything's a bit easier. We're all connected, you know. I think that's the truth, which even that one some people struggle with. Uh, but that's my personal belief. I think that makes everything easier to wrap my head around that one. Mainly just, just the basic meditation thing has just been a great tool. So when things are really hard, um, I don't quit. Uh, but if there's a moment where I'm truly lost, it's a courageous step to say, I'm gonna walk away. So it's just 
checking in with yourself and I think we know when we're just being scared and we know when it's like no I genuinely don't know what I'm doing or what I want and like me giving up music and that might have been because I had a confidence crisis but I think anyone getting dropped by a label at that point in their career you know with what they considered to be a good bunch of songs is confusing and it's okay to do that because you just, you just never know what is around the corner when you make these changes. We all get so scared to make a change. And, and beautiful things happen when you just, when you liberate yourself to let go of everything and go, well, I'll just quit music. It still found its way back to me. And I'm sitting here now with this album that's like the best work I've ever done that I'm so incredibly proud of. I don't care what anyone thinks. I would never have thought I could be sat here now confidently with this body of work, no way. It didn't seem possible, but it was the courageous step to accept that I didn't know what I wanted to do and to express myself through. Um, I went and studied with Ivana Chubbuck and learned acting. You know, I did other things and I gave back and I was a judge on X Factor to these young three girls that have a career now and like, you know, I just, it's okay. And it's okay to, to have periods where you're just living, you know? I think we, we, we're in a world where it's like, do, do, create, and it's like, well, not everybody is built that way. Some of us move a bit slower. We're a bit more fragile. We need time, you know, to just, just kind of, life can be tough. So. I don't think there's one mold for one person and you've got to be okay. I mean, I'm clearly a turtle. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of years between albums, but turtles win the race. So, you know, it's not about the amount that you do. It's just about the care that you take with what you do, I think. As I guess I was on my path to stardom and I had two receiver coaches, three receiver coaches um, throughout the course of my career. Uh, that were very, very instrumental and really just pushing me really kind of beyond the limits of what they thought I could become. They saw it and sometimes even I had doubt that I could be, you know, considered at the end of the day, one of the greatest receivers of all time. Like I played with Jerry Rice, you know, coming out of Chattanooga in, in, in 96, you know, third round, you know, 89th pick. I had no idea at the end of the day, you know, 15 years later that I would be second all time, second, third all time. Um, you know, in statistics um, behind, like I said, the greatest of all time when I, there were so many guys uh, that played at, you know, uh, power five schools, you know, definitely uh, first, second round guys that got drafted before me. Uh, honestly, I really, I really had no idea, um, which, you know, like I said, when you think about some of the things that I've accomplished, um, you know, the Super Bowl was one of those, one of those games. I said, you know, obviously to play in the Super Bowl, um, that's a big accomplishment in itself. Um, it wasn't the Super Bowl that I envisioned considering um, the injury that I had sustained probably six and a half, seven weeks prior to the Super Bowl when um, a lot of people, even, you know, doctors across the country um, basically said that there was no way I would have played in that Super Bowl uh, really considering the, the injury that I had sustained. And so I tore all pretty much all the ligaments in my right ankle. Uh, I ended up uh, finding out the next day after the game that I had broke my fibula. Um, and I ended up having to have uh, two screws and a plate inserted into my ankle uh, just for stability. 
um, just to help with the healing process. And so literally after that, I think it was mid-December um, when I had, uh, when the injury occurred. And um, honestly, like I said, you know, we had two, I think two more games uh, to go in the regular season. Um, and then we had obviously we made the playoffs and then we had to play two playoff games uh, to get ultimately get to the Super Bowl. And so I went into surgery the next day. Um, the training staff there with the Eagles, um, you know, obviously they gave uh, gave me a lot of confidence and basically put me really kind of on, uh, on an aggressive rehab program. Um, and basically, you know, they they knew what type of person that I was uh, from a mental standpoint. Um, my mindset of obviously wanting to uh, get to the Super Bowl. Um, they brought me there in hopes of, uh, you know, me helping the team get there. And I think with what I brought from a mental standpoint, a swag standpoint, um, aside from really what I, my production and the things that, and how I carried myself in the football field, uh, that enabled them to really, to uh, really play those games, especially going into the playoffs, you know, without me. I think I instilled you know my my work ethic uh, on on some of, and it rubbed off on some of the receivers. I think the swag and, and what I had you know brought uh, you know throughout the season um, that carried them into the playoffs. And you know I remember coming back from surgery the day after surgery, and I did a radio interview. And so obviously everybody wanted to uh, really kind of get an update on how the surgery went. Um, they wanted to kind of get a feel of my thoughts on. Um, really the, the possibility of me play, playing in the Super Bowl. And I remember very, very vividly uh, the guy asking me, you know, um, what were my thoughts and did I think I was going to uh, play in the Super Bowl? And again, I keep talking about my faith and that's what I relied on. Um, and I tell you, you know, me playing, uh, being, I guess, a day removed from surgery, um, knowing that the Super Bowl was six and a half, seven weeks uh, away, um, I'm pretty sure a, a lot of people probably doubt it. I mean, the city of Philadelphia, they doubt it. I'm sure that I would have been ready. Um, but that's where, again, the things that, you know, my grandmother instilled in me and how I was raised, um, you know, that what that was what went into my answer. And I told them, I was like, yo, I said, if the team, uh, when they win or if they make it to the playoffs, they make it to the Super Bowl, I told them with no hesitation, I said, I'll be ready. Um, and again, that was, uh, that was a lot. Um, you know, in that statement, considering I just uh, I just had come out of surgery, um, the injury that I had sustained, they said it was literally uh, it's a it was a three to four month um, you know type of recovery uh, or injury, and so I only had six and a half seven weeks. I didn't know that at the time, but I, I had like six and a half seven weeks uh, to get ready for the Super Bowl, and I put all that I had into it to to do that. And everything that I had done up until that point, you know, throughout the course of my career, when you talk about how I took care of my body, when I, you know, the nutrition, um, just the body maintenance throughout the course of the season, um, that that's what goes into becoming a great athlete. Um, there's a lot of talented people. And again, like I said, talent can only take you so far. Um, you know, it, it will sustain you to a certain point. But there are things that you have to do that elevate your game, uh, that elevate your game, um, not just, you know, from a physical standpoint, um, but mentally, um, there are some guys that are able to really will themselves and do the impossible. 
And I think I fall in that category. And I know I, I, I joke with one of my, my friends that uh, one of my, actually my host and who's a good friend on my, on my podcast called Get Your Popcorn Ready, uh, Matthew Hatchett, I always, uh, you know, mention or put my name in the same breath as some of the some of the greatest basketball players, and I reference them because I love basketball. But I tell them, I said that's why you know uh, I'm, I'm mentioned in the same breath of some of the great players, the greatest athletes like you know Kobe Bryant and and, and Michael Jordan. Uh, you think of like Bo Jackson, um, Steve Young. You think about all these great great athletes, Dion, Prime Time Sanders. But I always say me and Kobe. And they was like, what? He said, you're, you're not good as, you're not, you can't put yourself in the same category as Kobe. And I said, why? I said, why can't I? And then obviously Kobe just got into the Hall of Fame. And I said, now I can say, yeah, Kobe's in the Hall of Fame. I'm in the Hall of Fame. You know, only the great ones, you know, some of the greatest are the ones that are considered the greatest or or or, or, or in the Hall of Fame. Or in this case, when you talk about icon, iconic uh, type of players, I said, I, I'm in the category. And for those that, you know, don't consider me the GOAT, you know, obviously, you know, obviously the GOAT is, you know, can, you know that's the greatest of all time. I think it's, it's, it's a singular thing. But when you talk about the GOAT, or you're talking about the greatest of all time, I try to tell people, I take it from a, a, from a lyric. I may not be considered the GOAT in some people's eyes, but if you look at me and you look at my highlight, I definitely fit the description. Many of these decisions are less monumental than that. There's kind of a focusing illusion that when we think when we're making a decision, we think that that's the most important decision there is. And so for me, I think a, a tool is to make decisions for fundamental reasons rather than instrumental reasons, which goes to what you were talking about before about careers as a line that if we make decisions, if I decide I'm going to major in this because it's going to lead to that, which is going to lead to that, which is going to lead to that. I think that's a bad idea because it's, a, it's I think it's a bad bet because you have no idea where it's going to lead. If you major in something because you like it, because it's interesting, because you find it compelling, major in that because you're going to learn a lot, you're going to do really well, and you have no idea where it's going to lead. And so, you know, the, the, the reason that I like making decisions for fundamental reasons rather than instrumental reasons is not because I have this noble view of the world, is that instrumental reasons don't work because the world is so complicated. So you're better off just making decisions for fundamental reasons, doing things you care about that are meaningful and that contribute, and, and being alert to opportunity along the way, recognizing that, as you said earlier, that the path is not a path, it's the opposite of a line. It's a, it's a messy, three-dimensional um, squiggle. At some point in life, we're all gonna struggle. And I think that's what you're getting to. We're always, we're gonna be confronted with something. There's gonna be some obstacles um, that we feel that you know we can't over overcome or when you're on your path to success, there's always gonna be those roadblocks here and there. Um, it, it's just, it's a part of life. Um, and I think that's what's so rewarding when we do achieve what we achieve is because of those failures, because of those struggles, because of those roadblocks. Uh, those roadblocks can, can, can come in different forms. It can be, uh, it can be your own mental roadblocks. It could be uh, just outside criticism. It could be media. It could be anything. It could be personal problems. It could be family problems. 
Um, it could be something as simple as you driving, you know, uh, you're on a path and you're feeling good and you're driving somewhere and you, you get a flat tire. Um, I mean, anything can, can, can trigger you and to try to get you off track. Those are struggles. Um, and then just from an athletic standpoint, um, that's going to happen. Uh, and it's always, it, it's, it's really how you respond to it. Um, I'm not saying anything that nobody else would say, especially that has become successful, whether it's in business, uh, personal, uh, it's in sports. But at the end of the day, we're all going to struggle. I struggled, but I didn't quit.